Hello, everyone, and welcome to Trawler Talk, the official podcast of Passage Maker Magazine, the long-range cruising authority. I'm your host, Editor-in-Chief Jeff Moser. Before we get into today's episode, a word from our sponsor, Atlantis Marine Finance. When it comes to getting a loan for your new boat, there are a lot of options out there, and not all are created equal. Atlantis Marine Finance focuses solely on the boat and yacht space and understand the complexities that sometimes come with boat buying. For more information on financing your dream boat, head on over to AtlantisMarineFinance.com. Now, on to our episode. Sometime last summer, I watched our next guest, Nicomas Nelson, motor out of the large harbor in The Hague, Netherlands, and onto the North Sea, bound for England. The crew had departed much earlier than they wanted to outrun what would become the worst squall to hit northern Holland in 30 years. It even forced the closing of the airport in Amsterdam for a few hours. But thanks to their steed, an Elling E6, they made short work of the 100 or so nautical miles, crossing at an average speed of 14 and a half knots. From the UK, the crew visited the Orkney and Faroe Islands, Iceland and Greenland, before crossing the Atlantic to the Canadian Maritimes, ending their 4,200 nautical mile trip in their home harbor in coastal Maine. Nicomas fills us in on his life as a professional captain, the search for a vessel that would both be capable of making a high-latitude crossing and serve as a nimble coastal cruiser, and preparing and embarking on their bucket list voyage. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Nicomas, we met in the Netherlands last year, or God, it was earlier this year. It seems like last year, but... um. You've been boating a long time, so why don't you tell me just about your background, where you grew up? Because when I started talking to you, I found it to be really intriguing. Yeah, for sure, Jeff. Uh, so I grew up uh, on Islesboro, a little island in Maine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was one of those things. I I never really looked to go boating, but I just always have been boating. Um, and I can't remember when I wasn't really. I think I started uh, sailing lessons uh, at our local yacht club when I was six. And, uh, you know, I have a few early memories of that, but it's sort of, it's just something I've always been doing. Um, and, you know, it, one, one thing led to another. When I was a, a, a teenager, uh, my parents were, were working, doing some, some landscaping and gardening work for a gentleman who purchased a, an island near here. Mm-hmm. He needed a, a guy to, to run his boats. And, and at the time he had a French chef that didn't didn't speak a lot of English and, and I, you know, essentially was a, was a, a, a way to get the chef to the grocery stores and, and, uh, do as much translating as, as one could, uh, not, <laughs> yeah, you know, be, being a teenager, uh, so I was, I was better at the boat driving than, than the, the souffle recipe maybe, but, uh, and then the boats got bigger and, and, you know, sort of one, one owner led to another and, and, uh, you know, before I knew it, I was on a 140-foot sailboat headed down down to the Caribbean, uh, and, and that owner was pretty cool. We did a lot of sort of off-the-beaten-path stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, we spent time in the Bay Islands of Honduras, and uh, yeah, just uh, boats have always sort of been where I've found myself, and uh, I really enjoy it. Yeah, so you earned a captain's license, and then you moved moved on up to over 100 yeah, footers. Yeah. I had my captain's license pretty early, like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, even when I was still a teenager. I think I was. A, I think you're allowed to get it when you turn 18, mm-hmm. and I think probably by 1920, I, I had mine mm-hmm. in my hand. Have you ever done anything else? Or you just This is pretty much, it just was defined for you from a get-go. You know, when I, so I, w- I went to college, I was studying environmental economics and environmental law, mm-hmm. and I, uh, I was there for a while, and, and really enjoyed it uh, and started uh, moved into a sort of a graduate program. Uh, but 
at the same time, you know, I was I already had a, a, a year-round salary driving a, a yacht for for a gentleman, a, a sailboat that we raced in New York Yacht Club, sort of cruises in in, in a locally around Maine. So it was sort of a, a July August position, but it paid me year-round, and and uh, it, it was too easy to end up skiing out west in the winter and. And uh, I don't know. I also sort of realized, you know, I, I loved living on an island. I loved being close to the water, and, mm-hmm. and that if I was going to pursue a career outside boats, it was going to probably take me to some place I didn't want to be. Yeah. Well, it's good to have that revelation, I guess, at an early age, isn't it? Yeah. No. It's uh, it's one of those things. It's it's um, you know, you just you realize it one day. And for me, it was it was out on, on my own sailboat in, in the middle of. Uh, I mean, I remember pretty clearly in the middle of, of East Penobscot Bay and it's just this beautiful late August day. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, why am I, why am I going to go live in a college dorm when, you know, I could stay on this boat? Yeah. And so I, you know, well, you who mean, knows if it was the right move or not, but it, it, it's worked out well for me. You were ideally located on that Island to um, sort of have that opportunity. Lucky, you know, the people that you meet, the people that you work for, the, mm-hmm. the, the experiences you have, they've, been a lot you know of, of uh, a lot of opportunities beyond just driving boats uh, you know with travel and with, with with meeting really cool people that have opened doors and, and I feel like I've always been lucky to sort of have some some degree of cerebral satisfaction uh, beyond just wiping varnish um, yeah. yeah so I'm pretty 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 pleased with that well said you you had been working on 100 footers and i think when we talked you had almost you served on some mega yachts too is that right yeah well that was 100 it was a 40 meter 140 foot uh mm-hmm. yacht okay uh, for a while yeah yeah and then it, you uh, somehow got connected to this current project that you worked on for the last couple of years that uh we sort yeah, of was so the, the basis the of fam- our yeah, the family that I ended up doing this this, this cool trip recently with mm-hmm. uh you know they they bought some land uh on Islesboro uh, that uh, a, a former owner that I worked for owned, um, and I realized that you know they just seemed like super cool, awesome people, and and even if uh, initially it wasn't going to necessarily be a boat driving job, that uh, working for these people, you know, felt right. So I uh, jumped ship and and uh, threw threw all my eggs in that basket, and, and no regrets. Yeah. So um, let's you know you connected with these current people that you work for now and then they started to envision some trips that they wanted to do let's let's get into that part of the conversation yeah well i mean initially the, the trips honestly were, were all uh you know sea kayaking trips that's that's how this started and and uh oh. when we when we bought um you know when, when we started going when you know we first went to look at, at this boat this elling uh it was really almost a month after I was was uh, sea kayaking with with my boss, and, and we started like you know, talking about bigger boats, and and the, the conversation first started with sailboats, and say, well, you know, go charter a few this winter, and 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 see what feels right, see what you like, and and then we talked, to, you know, somehow the conversation, uh, you know, and this is the course of like twenty minutes, moved to power boats and. They'd always sort of had in their mind something like a, a Hinkley picnic boat or a small, you know, main coastal day boat. But he really did. They, it was both he and his wife had ambitions of, um, you know, maybe wanting to cruise and wanting to see more. And, and 
they're at a place in their career where uh, they're still really active and really busy, but they envisioned in the future maybe being less less busy. And uh, we, uh, you know, pretty quickly talked started talking about power boats and, and really everything from forty to to say sixty five pizza selling was one of the bigger ones that we we discussed over the course of an hour long you know paddle. And that evening, I I went you know did a little yacht world search and sent him ten listings and and the Ellen kind of popped out to him, and then uh, we had, we had a few conversations about you know what we were what he was looking for in a boat what we wanted to do and and the Ellen uh, coming from Europe was like well you know the cool thing would be to bring this back and he said we could do that and it's like yeah we can do that and right away from that point on it um, we really were only looking at ocean capable boats. Uh, and, and we thought about, you know, boats that were in the U.S., uh, but again, you know, the Elling was sort of a, a rare thing. Uh, it had um, its wheelhouse and, and sort of upper saloon all on one level, uh, which really appealed to them. They, they you know, liked the idea of, you know, not necessarily, even though I'd be running the boat for them, I don't know, we, we kind of operate almost as a, as a little family. And they didn't want to have this uh, separation, you know, where, where the bridge was detached from the living area. And uh, they also liked the speed of it and, and the flexibility of the boat. You know, the tender garage was a huge sell uh, to me, you know, when, when you're thinking of going offshore. So it really, it, it, it honestly, it, it was maybe a 48-hour period of, of talking about buying a boat to booking a plane ticket. To, wow. to, uh, to the Netherlands to go look at this thing. Those are the kind of people I like. It checked all, all the boxes for us, our particular needs. There really wasn't anything else that that competed with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, there were boats that size, like, you know, the, the East Bays and the Veechams and, and, and big, fast sort of down East boats that could have been perfect if, if all we wanted to do was picnic in Maine and, you know, maybe go to Nova Scotia. But, you know, they, they weren't really boats that we felt were set up to, to take us to a place like Greenland. And, uh, you know, the, the uh, some other trawlers just didn't have the speed. Uh, ones that did have the speed, you know, didn't have the, the sort of same level, you know, helm. And, and living, it just, uh, real real quickly, we focused on the E6 and, uh, you know, no regrets. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, trawlers have the range, but not the speed, or some have close to the speed, but they may have like an enclosed bridge, which sort of cuts you off from the rest of the family, and that you sort of wanted the cruise on a one level sort of thing. So you you realize, yeah. you guys realize the Elling fits, checks all the boxes, and then what's your next step? You were, you... Well, we, we booked the plane ticket too, and I'll also say, you know, the mm-hmm. one, a real big thing with the Elling, you know, yeah. having the single screw uh, also, having the speed and one engine mm-hmm. was really appealing. Um, it meant that that, you know, your main propeller was protected by the keel of the boat. The rudder was protected by the keel of the boat. Uh, you know, it's a boat that you could set on the ground, uh, you know, and let the tide go out and and access the bottom of the boat, which, mm-hmm. you know, can get a lot more tricky with, uh, with, with something with twin screws. Yeah. So, um, next trip is to the Netherlands to see the manufacturer. We flew over and, uh, we were really fortunate. They had a demo boat. Wow. So they had an E6 available. That's the one that we purchased. It was probably 85% complete. Oh. It had been to one boat show. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, had we wanted to, to custom order one, there would have been a wait. Mm-hmm. But this was was sort of there, and and uh, you know the uh, my boss and I felt it was a good fit for us, so so he pulled the trigger, and and you know real quickly we were able to start um, figuring out what we wanted to do to the boat uh, to make it ready for this trip. You know, from from the moment over to look at it we had the idea of bringing it back and we had the idea of bringing it back you know through arctic waters mm-hmm. so, so she'd come back on her own bottom not in the hull of a, a transport ship um yeah exactly on its own bottom and and also you know that northern route which <clears throat> you know had uh, in some ways maybe was easier than than the long haul the boat certainly would have had the range to to, to do you know a, a sort of more traditional crossing mm-hmm. Uh, at, at a slower speed, but um, yeah. uh, there was a lot of appeal to the adventure of, of Faroe Islands, of Iceland, of Greenland. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, and then you work, I mean, you got the principal over there at Elling, his Anton, and you worked with Anton and you had made some uh, updates to the boat. And that was one of the pros- the things that you guys also sort of, you know, sold it to you guys that they were willing to work with you on some of the updates you wanted to make. For sure, they were they they were you know really agreeable and willing to uh, to do whatever we wanted. You know, the, he he never told us that was a bad idea or, or we can't do that. It was yeah, we'll find a way to make it happen. And you know, the changes weren't crazy, but some of them uh, required some surgery to the boat. Mm-hmm. A, a big one was adding a second windlass up on the bow, which you know sounds easy, but you know, the boat was built enough that that deck structure was built and it required, you know, a lot more metal uh, plating under the laminates of, of the glass. Yeah. So we had to take, take apart the bow a little. Um, it worked out well. It was fine. We changed. We, we added a mast on the boat mm-hmm. that would accommodate some of the electronics we wanted. And then, you know, the other stuff was, was sort of a little simpler, you know, water makers and, and just redundancy on, on uh, all of the systems. Yeah. But what kind of redundancies did you ta- are you talking about? Well, <clears throat> so the Ellings is like out of the, out of the factory, uh, half a fair degree of, of redundancies built mm-hmm. into them. They have uh, are all built with a, a take-home engine mm-hmm. that's uh, got its own shaft, its own, you know, propeller, rudder, steering, mm-hmm. um, and you know it's in a separate uh, area, sort of separate uh, engine room uh, enclosure as right. the main engine. Mm-hmm. So if you had, you know, hypothetically, if you had a, a fire in the main engine uh, area, it wouldn't uh, affect the, the get home engine or the generator. You know, likewise, if you had a, a, a fire in the generator area, it wouldn't affect the main engine. Mm-hmm. So we just took that, ran with it. We added uh, extra fuel uh, transfer ability, so we could pump from one t- any tank on the boat to any other tank on okay. the boat through filters. Um, and then the engine only ran off of the day tank, uh, so we would, you know, could could filter every fuel. If we took dirty fuel, we could filter it before it got there, uh, and also filter fuel going to the emergency engine. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if it came out of a tank that had been contaminated, yeah, we made sure that the battery systems were all separate. So there were the house batteries uh, that were were isolated from, uh, you know, engine start, generator start, emergency engine start, but any of those could be paralleled back. So really, uh, you know, the idea was, you know, you can lose any system. The thrusters and one windlass were on hydraulics. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but we had the second windlass that we put in uh, was electronic. Got so it. if we did lose the main engine or if we lost the hydraulics, we would still have the ability to, you know, raise anchors. And having that second anchor uh, was just a, it's a huge, you know, when, when you do go into to places that are, are so removed as Greenland, ha- having the ability to, you know, not be able to recover an anchor and, and not lose the ability to anchor yeah. or, you know, limit the ability, you know, the, the circle the boat swings through. It just was, was, was hugely valuable. Oh, yeah. This ground tackle becomes more important than ever. Yeah. Um, during the build process, uh, how many trips did you take from Maine to Netherlands? I, I, w- I, I think you told me and I was pretty shocked. Not yeah, shocked. It, this is the way it goes, I suppose. It was the way it goes. I mean, it's, over the course, so we did the initial sea trial uh, in November, mm-hmm. and then uh, I was going monthly, you know, December through maybe March, and then it turned into every other week. I think over the, the whole life of the project, there was, you know, nine or ten trips probably mm-hmm. before we sailed away in the boat. In this tiny little town in South Central Netherlands. Yeah. <laughs> all, all a really yeah it's become a special place uh, I, it is yeah it's it's quite a nice little town yeah it's uh I, I enjoyed it when i visited there so i met you at the launch which was um god i think it was independence day wasn't it in uh yeah it was yeah just just a day or two before maybe I think we, day before we, yeah. uh, we did the day after the launch mm-hmm. when we uh we put up the the u.s ensign and took down the, the dutch flag and mm-hmm. officially sort of took delivery of the boat and, mm-hmm. and sailed off okay. ahead of what I guess was the largest, largest summer storm uh, ever recorded in that area. That's uh, right. Remember that? But That's right. Yeah. It just I think it shut down the airport and uh, whatever we, we got into low stop England, uh, uh, the United Kingdom, you know, literally with, with crashing lightning and breaking surf. <laughs> so that was, <laughs> that was the first big leg across the North sea, but um, let's go back to you, your preparation. Yeah. So you, you've got all the preparation for the boat done and you had done the sea trials and many trips to the Netherlands and you worked really closely with Elling and they were great, but um, you had to plan the route and you had to, there was many, many parameters you had to deal with. So without oh, for sure, I mean, yeah. It, 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 you know, it's like one of those things you just start, obs- it becomes an obsession almost. Okay. And, and I would, you know, I had the Navionics charts for, mm-hmm. for the whole trip on my phone, on my iPad, like, you know, idly sitting at an airport, you, I would honestly just, just zoom in on Prince Christian sound and you just sort of scroll along looking, thinking, looking at places. I mean, mm-hmm. in, in Greenland, there weren't a lot of soundings on the charts, So it was a lot of question marks oh. more than anything else. But then you go onto Google images and you can like, you know, look at satellite views and you can see some things. And, and, you know, I would, would Google just, um, you know, places and look at, look at cruising boats, where they were tied up, where they were anchored, how, you know, it, you can learn a lot. And it was, it was just this constant sort of study, research, reading, you know, there's, there are a few cruising guides uh, that cover the route, but mm-hmm. again, they're, you know, there is the details sparse, um, just because not a lot of people have done it. And, and it, uh, yeah, it, you know, but certainly that, that research gathering phase was, was huge. It was, it, you know, it was consuming. Yeah, I bet. And what was your, I mean, after we're going to talk more about the trip in depth, but what was your biggest concern um, 
taken on this trip? Uh, I mean, I this several parameters, but was it sea yeah. ice? Was it was it weather? It schedules. Schedules. It's always schedules. Okay. Schedules. Schedules kill everything. As soon as there's a time constraint, you know, and, and pressure to go when you shouldn't, everything's out the window. I knew if uh, if we could complete the trip really without uh, you know time pressure that we could do it uh, in a comfortable and, and successful way. Yeah. And, and and really until pretty close to the end, we we didn't have a lot of pressure. We waited when we we should have waited. There were a few times, you know, when when we left, when one might have waited, but uh, also, uh, you know, some of those places, some of, some of the, those crossings, there may never, you know, there may be a month without a, the perfect weather window. But uh, yeah. beyond, you know, scheduling, yeah, certainly sea ice was was a worry. Uh, you know, the sea ice in Prince Christian Sound often isn't out until early August, and I knew that we were going to be getting there before that. Um, and interestingly, in that that year, it. it it cleared out uh, real early in uh, in July, maybe even late June. But then, as the ice further north uh, on the east coast of Greenland started to break up, it became uh, blocked and inaccessible again by by the flows coming down from the north. So there was a window in early July one could have accessed Prince Christian Sound, but then it, it was really uh, pretty solid again until the end of July. I think that we were the second day. We went through the second day after there was a was a way through that. Wow. You got, you got fortunate because it only sounded like it was less than a month, three weeks or so where that window. Oh was... yeah. We left Iceland not knowing if we were going to be able to make it into Prince Christian Sound, but we felt that we had a weather window to get around uh, Cape Farewell if, if we had to. Yeah. That's about a, what was that? About 300 miles or so nautical mile detour if you had to take it or. Yeah. It'd be a 300 mile detour if we had to take it. Um, and we would have really, been rounding it with with one gale on our heels, turning and, and having an, another one, you know, approaching that would have would have sucked us up. But mm-hmm. um, it, uh, I think you know I think the boat would have been fine and we would have made it. But it was obviously was really happy when we did find a way through the ice and got into Prince Christian Sound. Yeah, to back up there. So I think that you left um, the Hague. I got off the boat. I was with you guys from the factory through Rotterdam and into the Hague, and then. You guys left, and I think you made a trip across the North Sea to England at about 14 and a half knot average, which is pretty incredible. You got in, you beat the storm, and then the trip really started to open up once you left England. So what was your first stop after you left the uh, United Kingdom? Yeah, so, well, we, we sort of coastal hopped up the U.K. pretty quick. Um, we, you know, went uh, to the Orkney Islands, uh, still obviously in the U.K., and from there... Uh, it was really sort of a day trip to the Faroe Islands. Uh, again, we did that pretty fast. Uh, you know, it was uh, 16 hours or something, 18 hours maybe. It, it wasn't. It was a, it was an ocean trip. We did it through the night, uh, so we left. And, and, and you know, by now you're far enough north with, where there really isn't a lot of dark. But we left uh, mid afternoon and uh, and got in. You know, in the morning or something. Um, in the Faroes, which was pretty cool. Uh, the Faroe Islands, you, know, you start getting into a, uh, some some pretty significant tidal currents, and even when it's not windy, you know you can you can have these huge standing waves that just get get come out of nowhere. You know, you come around a point and into the horizon, you just see this line of dark, and as you get closer, you realize there, you know, these just standing breaking waves. Really, wow. Um, 
So in the Pharaohs, did you, were you at marinas or were you guys anchored or what yeah. was? We, so we spent a lot of our time in Torsov in the capital. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, were in, we were only there for two days. We really was sort of weather window to weather window at this point that Got we were it. moving. And, but we did get out and explore uh, a little. We went to uh, the, the I don't know, much photographed sort of lake on the edge of a cliff and, mm-hmm. and did that hike. And, you know, it's pretty easy to find, uh, you know, stone piers and places to, to tie up if you have the right, you know, fendering ability, uh, you know, stuff that's designed for fishing boats. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's certainly available to, to use if, if you check with somebody and make sure, uh, you know, there isn't anything coming in for yeah. For a few hours, you, you do have, you know, we, we never found a place we couldn't tie up. Oh, that's good. Uh, really on the whole trip, yeah. That's good. So, we, we anchored some by choice, too. Mm-hmm. But, but the, the trip to the Faroes was obviously planned for a few days, and then with the next weather window, your next stop was Iceland, I believe. Is that right? It was Iceland, yeah. And our original plan was to go north of Iceland. We wanted to go around Iceland. Uh, but the weather window that, that came was short and it really, it, we would have never made it around before, that, uh, you know, some, some pretty significant northerly gales. So the idea was to, to get ourselves tucked up under Iceland and then run to the, to the west. Yeah. But I mean, I guess the fortunate thing was you were able to, you were able to visit the capital, which is quite, you know, stunning and a trip onto itself. Oh, it was a stunning trip. And, and I got to say like making landfall, uh, Having left the Faroe Islands, making landfall in Iceland, that was a longer passage. Uh, we went a little slower. We went maybe 12 knots, which was still, you know, a great speed, 12, 12 and a half knots. Um, it's stunning. You know, the glaciers, the glacier-capped mountains on the, on the southern sh- sort of shore of Greenland are amazing. You know, we, we saw these banks of clouds on the horizon, and all of a sudden, you know, we realized that, that this layer of what looked had looked like cloud above this lower layer of cloud was actually this huge, you know, horizon to horizon ice capped glacier. Oh, wow. This is the coastal range. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, and it just, you know, realizing that, you know, again, we, we were doing it, eating popcorn and watching movies. Uh, but you know, that the, the Vikings that had done that in the open long boat, you know, sort of seeing and, and, and in some ways experiencing some of the same feelings maybe they might have. And it, uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. And, you know, pilot whales, uh, really at every, every time we, we made a, a landfall on the trip from the Faroes through to, to, uh, Labrador, you know, we were always greeted by pilot whales. That's it. Cool. They're like your, um, I don't even know your, uh, spirit guides or something like that on this trip. Yeah. They, they were. We 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 met a, a pot of of orcas in Greenland, which I don't know. If they were, I think they were spirit animals for us too. But they they certainly I, I get why they'd be foreboding in a smaller boat. Yeah, they're big creatures, and uh, they don't they don't love boats off of Spain and Portugal lately. But that's a whole other yeah, story. Yeah, no. So you could you can feel the intelligence. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I mean, after a few days visiting the the, the hot springs you know, the geothermal hot springs in Reykjavik, it's uh, time to move on. Um, time to move on. We had a, we did a day of whale watching also. Oh, cool. Uh, which was just phenomenal. Um, you know, like humpback whales, bubble feeding, you know, like the whole, everything you could imagine, you know, we saw it, and it just was really special. Uh, 
So yeah, Reykjavik was nice. Uh, it was also the moment that we did have to say goodbye, unfortunately, to, to the owners. Uh, they had to get back for, for work. Um, so we had a little bit of a scramble getting somebody on the boat, uh, but that worked out. And uh, I don't know, there was, a, you know, it just, it felt wrong. So so on the boat at this point, it's myself and and, uh, and, and my fiance, uh, with my, my girlfriend until until uh, the Orkney Islands, but, but uh, in the Orkney, she became my fiance. So we'd considered running with just the two of us, but, uh, you know, I, I guess that's another thing I would, would, would say really, you know, that would have been fine and it could be fine. And I'm sure a lot of people do run really short like that, but, uh, you know, it's all good till something goes wrong. And, uh, you know, when you are in those waters, you gotta, you gotta think about like every, what could go wrong scenario because even if it's not likely, you know, that there is no help out there. There's no help on the way, man. And, you know, you wanted to continue the trip that you had planned, which was the next step was next stop was um I, was Greenland. So it was Greenland. Yeah, so you, we were in Reykjavik and there really at that point, you know, there was no, you know, you aren't going to turn around and go back to Europe and ship the boat from there. I'm sure we could have potentially shipped it from Iceland, but, uh, you know, we had a weather window and all we needed was, was a crew member. So, so we, we did a little, a little drumming and we, we got a, a guy who I'd sailed with in the past uh, to, to fly out and meet us and, and, and it worked out real well. Yeah. Yeah. So before you cast off to Greenland, what was, what was your final preparations as far as looking at the sea ice and just look, you know, you probably have gone over the route 500 times, yeah. but what was 500 your times? I mean, so we, we, so one of the I guess kind of big thing I'll say, we chose to do all of our own weather routing. Mm-hmm. So we didn't use the service. Okay. Uh, we, we thought about it, but in, in the end we decided we could do it. And one of the things that made that possible was having uh, the new Starlink, uh, internet service on on the boat that uh we had the the mobile you know priority Mm -hmm. uh which worked without fail uh on this whole crossing uh and it let us you know constantly uh look at weather updates ice updates you know everything uh while we were underway and without it it would have been a lot a lot more challenging um just having, you know, really what was unlimited data uh, available to us at, yeah. at a pretty high speed. And the price has come down so much from the old days of the satellites. Um, exactly. Yeah. The price has come down. It, we also had an Iridium set up on the boat uh, in case we lost. You know, again, we, we weren't sure the Starlink was going to work the whole way. They didn't necessarily guarantee uh, coverage in, in all of the places we were going. Uh, but it, it did work. It was fine. I, I had a pretty good idea that it would. You know, there were a few uh, research expeditions to Greenland that had used it and had, had you know, posted about it online. So, uh, you know, I was optimistic. We actually, on, on the boat, had two Starlink antennas, you know, and really two full setups. Again, it was one of those things, you know, redundancy for everything. And then the, and the final, you know, then we had, had the Iridium uh, set up as well. And, and lastly, we had, a you know, a regular old satellite phone. So, had everything gone wrong, you know, we could have still called up, called, called home and said, Hey, you know, I need you to look at this ice chart and tell me what you see. Yeah. But, uh, weather routing it, was available if needed. But the, yeah, you know, we, it worked out that we did it ourselves. So, so leaving, getting ready to prepare, you know, leaving Iceland, mm-hmm. obviously fuel on the boat, food on the boat, it, it, you know, you're one would be encouraged going into Greenland to uh, bring as much as you could and, and 
take uh, as, as much as possible mm-hmm. from the local stores there. You know, they really, the supply boats are sometimes infrequent depending on what, where you are. And, uh, you know, they aren't planning on provisioning yachts. They, um, you know, they're really feeding the local, the local population. So uh, we wanted to put as much on as we could and, and we did. And then, uh, yeah, ice, we didn't have the ice forecast we wanted, but, it, you know, I was optimistic it would open up. There was a lot of wind out of the north, uh, and we were trying to get through the bottom of this flow. So I just ho- hoped that would open, and we kind of we left Reykjavik and, and sailed further north than we needed to initially. So uh, we, once we did get into that sort of northerly wind flow, we'd, we'd have it behind us, and we'd also be traveling in the same direction as the ice, which you know w- was more sensible, it seemed, than, than um, you know, getting too far south and having to fight our way into into the wind and into the ice flow. Mm-hmm. How long was that crossing, that last? We did it. Yeah, it was a, a three-day trip for us. And we left, uh, you know, Iceland going pretty conservatively speed-wise, uh, wanting to sort of save diesel. So we were, we were going, you know, 10 knots. And then as we got closer to Greenland, you know, we sped up a little. And wanting to get, you know, through the flow and into the sound with daylight. And, and in the end, you know, once we realized we were making it through and we were going to, you know, be able to get into Prince Christian Sound, we, we just opened her up and went, you know, 15, 16 knots, which, uh, you know, we, we had to keep that diesel on the boat, though, in case we needed to go with the extra 300, yeah. you know, so miles. And you knew that you can get some clean diesel in Greenland. I knew we could filter it, even if it wasn't clean. Yeah. Uh, we had we had you know enough filters to deal. That's with good. Anything. That's good. And then um, you make landfall. I mean, after three days, um, tell me what is your initial and what is your view on Greenland now? Like, what what was the experience? Like? Oh, initially it was just it was awe. It, it was it was absolute awe. You know, coming into Prince Christian Sound mm-hmm. uh, through the ice just these giant icebergs and, and, and a lot of sort of smaller ice, but you know, just beautiful icebergs. And, and you see them, the mountains on uh, sort of the East coast of Greenland and just glacier after glacier after glacier and, and everything's snow and ice capped. And, and then you get into Prince Christian sound and they're, you know, these huge mountains that, that just, you know, drop precipitously into this, you know, relatively narrow fjord and, we spent that night at an abandoned weather station uh, near that sort of eastern entrance. Oh yes, I remember the seeing the photos. Um, staying it's, on the boat because there's polar bears, so got to kind of boat. So <laughs> we, yeah, there's such a cool looking place. Like you, you know, there were these staircases that go wind way up the, the mountain stuff, but there are bears down there. They, they ride down. They, they get stuck on the ice floes and they get off there, and and, and you know. They're looking for food. It's it's a common place to see them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't see any, but we we really did want to keep kind of close to the boat. Yeah, that's a good idea. We scampered around a bit with the camera, but um, you know, coming into that, like like anything, like just it's prudence and caution, and and you know, for anybody that might be listening to this that, that does find themselves at that that weather station. Uh, you know what presents itself as the face of that dock if you come in at high tide is all ledge under it you you, you know you gotta go in and, and tie up sort of between uh you know a, a ledge where these old oil tanks are and, and, and the pier and 
it uh, I don't know. It's just you know, you go slow if you're going that close. Yeah, to, because you're you're navigating by sight because there's still a lot of ice in the water. There's ice in the water. I mean, and there aren't soundings on the chart. Uh, <clears throat> a lot of what Greenland has are, are leading lines, and, and the, what's on shore to, to sort of create these leading lines are, are minimal. They're like you know. The equivalent of having a, a six-foot piece of a, of a telephone pole painted black and another one you know, somewhere on a ledge with a red stripe. It's uh, they're not they're not lighted. They're not they're not large. They're not obvious. Um, and and often you know they were sort of set up for larger commercial supply boats. So you know they really aren't trying to they, they aren't leading you to, to where you're going to anchor a a small yacht but mm-hmm. um at least you know that there's maybe enough water under you that there's commercial boats coming through yeah you you knew there were areas you definitely knew where there was water under you and there were places we went that we didn't we went um you know a couple of days after this we went to an, an, an uninhabited island with with a hot spring which is really rare for uh, greenland oh wow but it's, it's something about in the written record of, of it being used by people with these Viking really? um, records. I think they date back to something like, you know, 900 um, AD, but uh, when Eric the Red was settling in, in Greenland uh, and, and the island itself, uh, uh, I won't even try to pronounce it in uh, Greenlandic, uh, but it, its translation is the warming island. And uh, really there are these this sort of step series of, of sand bottomed springs that are heated by uh you know not so much like geothermal heat but but uh, tectonic plates actually sliding beneath uh them and, and the friction of the plates warms its water that pulls all the way up and it's just wild to, to there but uh, anyways yeah we, we met some sailors that had, had visited there on their 40 something foot steel catch and, and they hit a rock that wasn't on a chart um on their way out of there and so you know, you look at the, the 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 sort of geography there, and it's just islands and and steep sided fjords, and it, it it makes sense that as many random features as you see above the water exist beneath the water. Yeah, um, yeah, and I could, so. I mean, the 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 Elling does have a Kevlar reinforced hull, but you still, you know, you don't want to hit anything, of course. You don't want to hit anything. We did have. Uh, was quite a uh, nice a side scanning sonar so like coming into the weather station and, and places you could see what was out to each side of you i'd really hoped for a, a forward looking sonar that, that would have created a nice imp but it seems like that sort of technology still you know it's, it's there for finding fish but maybe not for for navigating at least you know with the within the, the platform of, of electronics that were already on the boat so, yeah. Um, okay. So, I mean, with the amount of sheer amount of water and fjords and things to explore, I mean, I guess it probably was tough to leave Greenland, but you know, you did have a rough schedule you had to keep. So oh, we did. And, and at that point, you know, Bill, this guy, my buddy Bill was on the boat and he did have a, a set day that he had to leave. And, uh, we, you know, my, my fiance is a science teacher here in Maine and, and she had was, you know, by now we're in, into early August and she's looking at the school year starting and, you know, everybody, you know, we wanted to get home, uh, as much as we would have loved to have stayed and explored and that next crossing, leaving Greenland, uh, and heading towards Canada, wherever one would, would end up, 
know, it's a big one. Uh, and you start getting further south, so you have more hours of darkness, and, and you actually have as much or more ice as you did before. Um, we knew once once we got back to, to sort of the Newfoundland Labrador area, we were <clears throat> really you know we were we were done done with the big ocean crossings. We we crossed the Atlantic at that point, and uh, there was there was a, a big incentive to make that happen. So we we really left with the first weather window that, that we had. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's always going to be there. Maybe you'll get more time someday. But um, so you you made it back to. Where it all started, coastal Maine. Yeah, um, coastal Maine. We did it. it um, you know, and, and I would would say too, some of the worst weather we had was was fighting our way down. You know, from Labrador to to, to Nova Scotia, yeah. but uh, we made it back and and uh, yeah, the boat performed really well on, on the whole trip. Uh, you know, I think there was very little we would have would have done differently. Mm-hmm. All told, how many? What was the the length of the trip? And I believe uh, it's been been a, been a few few months since we did. I think we were uh, actually from from when we left uh, you know left the Netherlands to when we got to to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Maybe thirty eight days at sea mm-hmm. and uh, four thousand two hundred miles wow. or so. Wow. So it, you know it was 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 a nice way to spend a, a month and a week really. It must have been, and you found the right boat for it. Um, reflecting back on this trip, um, what's next for you guys? I mean, you've done, you've done. They, your, the owners did miss the high Arctic, but what would be next um, for you guys? Oh, I, you know, secretly pushing for uh, for back to Greenland. Mm-hmm. Not that secretly, actually. I. I uh, Again, you know, right now it's going to be for the owner when when they get to a, a point in their life where they have that time. Mm-hmm. I think certainly, you know, uh, Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, there's there's an ease to that because we can we can bring the boat there. They can fly and meet and join us. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could have different guests, you know, fly in, fly out. When you get to Greenland, you know, it, it's just such a is so much more of a commitment. Um, you, it, it's a hard place to get in and out of. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's a, it is a big crossing and a big weather window you need to get there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I, I think that they're, you know, certainly with, with the owners, with myself, there's a lot more incentive to travel north than there's south. Yeah. Well, I hope you make it back. And, um, it was, it was great to meet you in July and I'm, I'm happy you joined us today. And it sounds like you guys chose the right boat and the right captain for the trip. Well, thank you, Jeff. Uh, It was a pleasure. And uh, look forward to crossing paths again with you. Me as well. Thank you for listening to Trawler Talk, the podcast of Passage Maker Magazine, a long-range cruising authority. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor and go ahead and click that five-star rating. We would really appreciate it. And if you're not a subscriber to Passage Maker, it's easier than ever to get our magazine delivered to wherever you lay your head. Just go to passagemaker.com slash subscribe. This episode of Trawler Talk features post-production from Nate Gruca at Active Interest Media. For Passage Maker Magazine, this is Editor-in-Chief Jeff Moser. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, fair winds and safe travels.